This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Well, good morning, and so glad to join uh, your Sangha this morning once again. Um, you know, in our uh, Japanese American temples, we have a, a little bit of a strange practice uh, for uh, uh, Dharma messages, and and uh, we have to give some kind of little bit of a like a corny joke to 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 begin, and uh, it, <laughs> it, it it can't be a good joke, but it can't be horrific either, and so I'm going to start with that. Um, I was talking just a few minutes ago with uh, Jiryu about uh, this uh, uh, gathering. And um, well, uh, he mentioned to me uh, that many of you have been studying uh, Sandokai, uh, a text, a very important text for, you know, Soto Zen tradition. And uh, I was originally going to say something about the kind of... uh, matters of race in America and, and Buddhist approaches to rec- racial rec- reconciliation. And usually I get asked to talk about subjects of that kind, about anti-Asian animus and so on. But I thought I would try to mash it together. And in the f- last few seconds, I've been trying to think about this. So anyway, the joke is this, which is that among, I also teach at a university and among university professors, there's a little, uh, how should we say, joke that is circulating uh, where some of my junior faculty, I'm the department chair, and junior faculty sent me this joke about how, uh, as assistant professors, uh, they relate to this uh, thing that's going around. And it basically says, if you're a PhD student uh, and you have a important presentation, conference talk or something, and it's seven days away from the talk, you start to get worried, panic a little bit, get ready and prepare. But if you're an assistant professor, and you have a little bit more confidence. Uh, uh, it can be even like seven hours before your talk, you start really preparing your talk. And then if you are a full professor, which I became just two years ago, it's like seven minutes before the talk, you start to get uh, ready. And then I was like, well, if you are a Zen teacher, maybe you only have seven seconds to get ready <laughs> to, to do the talk. And so my thought today was, you know, I'll give a talk, but I'm also happy to within seconds or whatever, you know, more like a Dharma exchange than just a, 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 a straightforward Dharma talk. I will give a Dharma talk, you know, some message, but I hope we can also have some time for uh, each other, uh, just uh, encounter and, and uh, uh, within seven seconds, trying to understand what we are uh, uh, feeling, thinking um, and, um, and what I will try to do, uh, I've been trying to think about how to take a few things I wanted to say about uh, the topics I've been thinking about recently, about is there a kind of fruitful Buddhist you know, approach or a way to think about some of these questions about racial justice in America uh, today and of the past. And uh, I sometimes talk about it as the karma of the nation, like what, what we inherit uh, and what we have to face today and how, how can we, whatever background we are, try to approach it, uh, but from a Buddhist vantage point. Um, so that's one kind of talk I wanna 
share with you. But also, I, I, I respect uh, uh, I, to learn that you have been studying Sandokai, which is, uh, you know, we chant all the time. And it's very, how should we say, on the one hand, very profound and ever revealing text, and yet also sometimes very clear, um, straightforward uh, uh, teaching is there. And so I thought maybe I'll try to find a way to say something about both. So this is something I, I think any of you who know me uh, from before have heard maybe uh, that uh, my interest in uh, Buddhism and then Dogen and, and so forth, Soto Zen Buddhism began when I was a teenager, when I was living in Japan and I was trying to struggle through my own understanding of, you know, uh, having grown up in a family that was of mixed, both racial, religious, every kind of language background. Uh, my mom is, comes, you know, very traditional Japanese family from Yawanash Prefecture. My grandfather's uh, Danka Sodai, or like the head, you know, uh, of the Buddhist temple. And, and, and I kind of received that lineage in my family. But my dad is from England. And so we, you know, spoke also some tried to speak anyway my, my English was not so good back then but uh, English and then uh, we went to the St. Albans Church in Ropungi uh, area of Tokyo which is an Anglican church because it's British Church of England and so we grew up kind of like Buddhist and Christian uh, sometimes English my brother and I would speak sometimes English and then end the same sentence in Japanese or other way around and uh, so I began to question, you know, I have a phenotypically, I don't think I look as Japanese as let's say my younger brother kind of could, could almost like pass as Japanese, you know, he looked more, more genetically like my uh, Japanese uncle, actually. And, and so, and I, so I had this kind of face and uh, a name like Duncan Williams. So uh, I couldn't fit in and so well in Japan as a Japanese person, even though that's kind of how I grew up, you know. And when I went to the UK, I also found very quickly, uh, I couldn't quite fit in there. Uh, you know, um, uh, uh, my father sent me to the UK to do a boarding school for two years uh, because my, I guess my English was so bad compared to my Japanese language abilities. And so he thought if I did it intensively for a few years. So then I realized just how I thought maybe that's where I'll fit in. But of course, that's, you know, I think myself and a kid from Pakistan, a kid from Hong Kong, we were the non people who didn't grow up in the UK. You know, UK. And so it was very, very difficult to try to fit into uh, British uh, society and all the norms I thought I knew um, uh, from my father. Nothing, nothing was uh, relevant <laughs> to trying to adapt to life there. So all to say that my search for Buddhism always had to do with this question of who am I, you know? And this is a very Buddhist question and Dogen asks it in Genjo Kowan, right? Like to study the Buddha way is to study the self. So this is a, to investigate who we are deeply. This is a, this is a very uh, important uh, gateway for our practice. And so when I met my first uh, Zen te uh, teacher, not, for, he's my teacher today too, my ordination teacher. Um, uh, uh, when I was a teenager, he 
came from a very rural Japanese temple, uh, but my family also had a house in this area of called Nagano Prefecture. And he, he would tell me, uh, for you, you need to uh, not become attached to either um, uh, extreme. Don't think that you are English or Japanese, or don't think that you are just a Buddhist or Christian or any, any kind of dual kind of a, a binary or you know two things. Um, uh, don't stick because the freedom will come when you don't when you're not stuck in one thing. And uh, that was I was probably like 16 or 17 when he said something like this, and it's it it kind of stuck in my mind as a as a kind of nice hint about uh, where is where is uh, freedom and liberation, uh, and also where can you find your true self. And uh, so, what was interesting was uh, I think probably along the way uh, I found another person who was a uh, uh, grew up in Japan, and she is of uh, multiracial heritage, and she ended up being a scholar of uh, cultural economics or something like that at one of the big universities in Paris. And she started to study this question of people who are of mixed background and um, uh, multilingual background and so forth. And it was framed in terms of do you know, companies benefit from people who can uh, have multiple languages or have multiple cultural backgrounds? Is there any benefit to that? Or is that a detriment to hiring such individuals? And in the process, she came up with four kind of categories of how to understand identity for people of multi, you know, ethnic or racial or whatever backgrounds. And it, uh, so I just want to mention what these are. And, and because it, it, I promise it'll relate to Sandoka in a, in a, in a moment. But uh, uh, she said, you know, the first type of, she studied like 5,000 people. And she said, when people grow up that way, uh, some people really don't like it that they have to deal with multiplicity. And they want to find a more kind of simple way to figure out who they are and their identity. And they like to say like, what is my essence or my foundation? Or uh, if I have parents of two different backgrounds, which of them is kind of more foundational? And then you kind of like pick one, choose one, yeah? that kind of way. So she calls that foundational identity formation. And I thought about that one and I can understand the appeal of it. Uh, it's much easier sometimes just to say I'm this or I'm that. Uh, so I can understand that, but I was like, that's a kind of little bit non-Buddhistic way of, 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 of formulating oneself, uh, but I can understand how some people will think like that. Uh, and then she said other people, second one is called situational identity formation. She said, you know, sometimes based on your situation, you shift your understanding of who you are and how you are in the world. And... Uh, I was like, oh, that one I can understand very well. Uh, you know, when I'm in the UK with my British grandparents or something, I'll probably act a little more British way. And when I'm in Japanese way, you know, my wife likes to make fun of me. I make phone calls to Japan all the time. And uh, of course, it's time different, different hour, but I will start speaking Japanese. And then apparently my voice modulation changes and I start bowing uh, on the phone. And she's like, they can't even see, she's Korean American. So it's like, 
they can't even see you and why are you doing that and that's so stupid and, and but i think in the situation it feels somehow like i know they know i am bowing or you know something like this uh, so somehow we how should we say code switch or shift up uh, and based on our karmic situation we shift and our identity so that's what a different kind of style right of of how we think about ourselves and how we exist in the world, situational identity. But then some people, she said, some people say, I don't like doing that. I like to, you know, have a kind of integrated unified identity that I present the same in whatever situation I'm in. And she said, you know, people who lean that way, uh, uh, they call it integrationalist identity, but like the idea that I may be multiple things, but I, inside myself, I've kind of found a way to unify or merge or integrate or something like this and that I can take that self wherever I go uh, uh, and uh, it's not foundational in the sense that it, it recognizes the multiplicity but it's um, uh, but it's unified in a certain way so she says that's called integrationist identity some people really lean in that direction and then finally she said there's a fourth type of way called transcendentalist identity that is to say you know, if you are, you know, it is true, British and Japanese or Buddhist, like, uh, you know, this identity that it is a humanly constructed thing. And so in that sense, it's not, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's artificial, and, and, uh, and we use it for convenience purpose. But uh, so she says, some people are like, I refuse to identify with this identity formation, this one or this one. And I want to have an identity that's beyond that, transcends that. Like I'm a, I'm a human or I'm a sentient being or, you know, you know what I mean? So, so to, to, to get away from some, some things that are artificially uh, created. And, and so I was like, but you know what? I think now that I'm, you know, in my fifties, I probably, if I would have answered this different, if I was back when I was 16 years old and first trying to uh, investigate these matters. But now that I'm 50 something, I'm like, I've been through all four, I've leaned onto one style or another of those identity styles and cycled through all four of them probably multiple times at, by this point. And I think something about, and this is where I'm gonna to get to Sandoka in a moment, there's something about Buddhist vantage point that actually allows us to actually have some freedom to take various kinds of vantage points, position points, et cetera. And that uh, to understand something like Sandokai, um, we should at least get a little bit of sense of in the longer Buddhist mm, history and teachings, where does a text like Sandokai lie? and what kind of ideas is it based on, the, the kind of vantage points. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you've already been studying this, uh, uh, this may sound uh, very basic and repetitional, but, uh, you know, Sandoka is, a, is a, such an important key, key text uh, for uh, Soto Zen lineage, and yet it predates, you know, uh, uh, Dungshan or uh, Tozan, the founder of, uh, you know, 
we call us a Soto for a reason, right? Sozan and Tozan. And, 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 and the, the founders, the latter character, Soto, the To is uh, in Chinese way pronounced uh, Dungshan, but in Japanese way we say Tozan. And so Tozan is, you know, 807 to 869. And uh, Sekito Kisen, who writes Sandokai, is one generation uh, earlier. Uh, and uh, it's a text that is very much in the lineage of uh, what follows with Tozan and his five ranks and, and his, I'll come back to that later, but his ideas about uh, absolute and relative, um, uh, but also pre, pre after, comes after like a jury and the Tiantai commentaries on the, the three truths and the uh, uh, G and B and Chu in Japanese way of talking like uh, uh, ultimate reality, phenomenal or relative reality, and then Chu, the kind of middle uh, idea. So that, that's a very important uh, Chinese philosophy developed, not in our school of Buddhism, but precedes us uh, uh, as a Tiantai or Tendai Buddhist uh, philosophy. But Sekito Kisen is very much uh, leaning on or drawing from that lineage. And of course, that is also goes all the way back to India, to, to uh, juries, and of course is rel relying on Nagarjuna and uh, Chandrakirti and Dharmakirti, all the kind of Manjamaka thinkers, Yogacarya thinkers of India who, who put forth this idea that uh, the world as we perceive it should be understood as having two kind of uh, uh, registers or two perspectival vantage points, uh, one called uh, uh, Paramata Satya and one called Samvrutti Satya, uh, ultimate uh, uh, or, uh, or absolute reality and the phenomenal or uh, relative reality. So when we study something like Sandokai, there's a teachings before it and then, and then right after Sandokai, there's our founder, to Tozan or Dungshan, who has his teaching of five ranks. And so it, it lies kind of in the middle of this long lineage of teaching about uh, how to see the world. And I'm, my argument today is that it's a little bit related to mixed race theory about, about positionality and, 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 and how, we, how we situate ourselves in how, and why we might want to look at reality in a given moment in a certain kind of vantage point. Uh, so, uh, you know, we have, I wanted to say one more word about the, uh, mm, well, Sandokai, the, the word, it's uh, the title of the, you know, the text itself, and then a few of the lines, uh, just to, just to uh, remind ourselves, what is that text? Uh, and of course, uh, Sandokai San, you know, in the Chinese characters, uh, it has this uh, connection to the idea of things that are uh, uh, differentiated, uh, things that are uh, therefore of the phenomenal reality or relative reality. And in the Tendai thought, it would be connected with the character Ji uh, for the relative reality. And then Do is the flip. Uh, it's an idea of kind of a, a unified reality, the common reality, uh, emptiness, uh, the things that uh, uh, are, are uh, not uh, subject to differentiation. And so uh, san do, the do, it just means like, if you, normally in Japanese 
language you in the vernacular even not even in buddhist language we use it to mean like uh, some, something that is equal or same or unified or something like that so that's the uh in from tendai thought the, the character d uh or the or the uh uh, absolute reality, ultimate reality, uh, uh, unified reality, that kind of idea is in the title of the text itself, Sando, then Kai. Kai, usually in the Japanese language, in the vernacular, we use it to mean like a, a contract, an agreement. Uh, um, and in this case, probably we mean like uh, when two parties come together to, you know, uh, mutually. Uh, come together in agreement, something like this. And so this text itself is saying, the title is, is just proclaiming, this is a text about the coming together or merging together of relative reality with ultimate reality, with uh, uh, a differentiation with the uh, unity or something like that. And the rest of the text is a kind of large poem giving us a different vantage points of how to understand when we embrace both. This is like me, like not rejecting either my father or mother, <laughs> you know, right? When we embrace both our parents, when we embrace everything uh, about who we are, our Buddha nature, as well as all of our nonsense, we embrace everything, then what happens, right? Then what happens? And how can we see things? And I feel that all of Sandoka is kind of a different lines are giving us some hints about uh, how, to, how to see things. And so uh, uh, I didn't want to go so, so much into line by line, you know, I, uh, that's not the purpose, but uh, 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 as you're doing the Sandoka study, if we can understand that and understand also in our lineage, the founding teacher, uh, Tozan's way, he also has this uh, theory about the, he calls it five ranks, or in Japanese way, we say goi. Uh, ranks is maybe not the right word. Uh, usually that's the way it's translated, but it's like five, e means like positions. Five, I like to translate more like vantage points. Uh, and there's five of them. And they also use the language of uh, the Tendai philosophy, uh, that I mentioned GD uh, and Chu, Chu meaning the middle, and all of the five ranks of uh, Tozan Ryokai, the founder of our lineage of Chinese, uh, you know, founder of Soto Zen Buddhism, Shochu uh, Kai, Henshu Cho, all those teachings, the five positions where he says uh, the, 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 the language is a little, the character a little bit different, but it's basically the same thing. He's saying the straight and the crooked are 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 in the middle or or you can see the 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 crooked in the straight or the straight in the crooked or you can see that when they merge together all these things it's the same thing as saying gd chu the the tendai way like what comes up in sandokai that the absolute and relative and coming together merging together in the middle somewhere and embracing everything sometimes and seeing each as its own sometimes there's all those positionalities are represented in uh, our founders, uh, Tozan's teachings. And then later, our Japanese founder, uh, Dogen Zenji, also, many of his texts are just explications of the same thing over different, in little, slightly different ways. So you read something like uh, Sansui Kyo, right? Mountains and Waters uh, Sutra. And you imagine yourself, uh, you're, if you're a, a dragon, uh, the water looks like a, 
you know, this is your because dragons in East Asian mythology live in the you know underwater in the oceans. Uh, it's like a palace, and if you're a hungry ghost, the water is like a burning flame. If you're you know, so it's all about vantage points and 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 positionalities and the freedom to be able to move between the positionalities. And this is what I was trying to get at with the mixed race, <laughs> the transcendentalist situation. Like when you can move freely, that comes a certain uh, liberation. And yet it's not, so, it, so it's not like you land on one and that's it. And I think Sandokai says something like that, right? Uh, that uh, 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 you come to absolute and you, if you think that's it, that's not quite right. You have to keep on uh, 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 being able to, to move uh, freely. And there's another uh, Sekitoki-san, so I'm going to end with another uh, to relate to Sekitoki-san and kind of I'll try to wrap up my thoughts about Sandokai, but you know, the author of it, uh, Sekitoki-san, has a beautiful poem uh, called Song of the Grass Hut. Um, and in that poem, which again resonates very well with uh, Sandokai, he says, uh, again, I'm, I hope my English translation is not so off, but he says something along the lines of, uh, let's, let us let go of myriad uh, years uh, and uh, completely settle. And that's when we can open our hand and walk uh, uh, carefree. And he says thousands of words, uh, myriads of interpretations are only there for you to free yourself from your obstructions. So those are the verses in his important uh, poem uh, called Song of Grass Hut in the English rendition. But um, the idea of like, uh, we let go of generations of uh, habits and generations of uh, fixed way of thinking. Uh, human society has given us uh, about uh, who we are, what we, he said, when we open our, you know, because that's about grasping onto something, even in like, like we grasp, but opening the hand, letting go is actually a key aspect of getting to a position of being able to see things clearly and see things in multiplicity, see things in a way of interlinkedness, where all of the words on the teachings, they can actually be a trap or a kind of like an obstruction. But if we understand that they can also be hints of guidance and teachings that if we take it right, we can free. And anything can be a, you know, Tozan, the, the founder of our lineage in China, uh, it said he was walking and saw a stream and saw his own reflection in the stream and he woke up. He saw something very deep about the nature of reality, himself and his reflection, the you know, stream. So, Anything, any moment can be opening. Anything can be Dharma gate. Any words can be that uh, uh, thing, myriad of words and teachings, but they can be a trap. They can be the things we hold on to. Like my teacher was saying when I was 16 years, you know, you can think you're X or Y, but don't get stuck there. Um, that's a type of very nice, nice teaching of, of Buddhism is, is we, we are given many, many hints and many, many, guidances and yet uh, we can walk freely uh, if we don't uh, 
get stuck in just one perspective. So that's why to Tozan gives us five. That's why Jury gives us three. That's why Sandokai gives us three and a half or something like, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a very complex text in a certain way. Um, and, uh, and so we can freely move and study these texts and study these teachings. And if they're helpful, then we, then we uh, uh, can use them to free us. And then we can also get a little bit stuck. So if, if, we, if we get uh, too locked in uh, to something. Uh, so I think that's why also uh, Sandokai text says things like, you know, in the lightness, you can see the darkness, but don't uh, kind of get stuck trying to understand, you know, that darkness. It's not about the same thing, you know, flip side. It's, it, it's about how we're interlinked and how we are interconnected and how our Buddha nature is interconnected with our nonsense. Uh, all the kind of regular personality quirks and et cetera we, we may have in our karmic composition uh, is beautifully interpenetrating with Buddha nature. And yet each thing is kind of, you know, we can also take it on its own and it's on, on its own has a kind of uh, integrity uh, and uh, purpose and, and so forth. And so I'm going to try to end with going back to what I was originally going to talk about, which was uh, America's racial karma and, and the topics like that. But uh, it occurs to me, you know, that uh, we have some very powerful teachings within our Buddhist uh, uh, texts and uh, uh, language and, and so forth that allow us to not get stuck in either difference or sameness. And that's, I think, a teaching of Sandokai, uh, not to get stuck in difference, or, or, but also recognize fully everything and, and um, uh, somehow freedom from suffering, freedom from racial suffering, freedom from suffering of uh, things around race that have uh, been done in the past and sometimes even continue and endure in the present because that's the way racial karma works as as does collective karma in general is it's not sometimes we don't it's not our doing but our we inherit many things and 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 how we deal with what we inherit uh, how we deal with you know what our parents tell us uh, what our grandparents tell us uh, what our ancestors have gone through in body and uh, mind uh, if they experienced racial hurt if they perpetrated racial hurt all these things are kind of transmitted and whether we like it or not we have to we inherit all of it and so we inherit a lot of nonsense we inherit a lot of goodness we inherit a lot of virtue we inherit a lot of hurt we have all this and yet we are also buddhas and free and we have to deal with it in the middle and so this is i think the the beautiful um uh thing about uh something like uh you know, let's just end with like Jewel Nut of Indra, that we are like a, you know, beautiful, we live in a universe that is of multitude, of infinite multitude. That's the difference side, right? That uh, all of us are uh, uh, kind of unique jewels in a vast and infinite net. It's like that, like a tennis court net with the knots in it. We're like a knot in, you know, each one of us are distinct, beautiful, differentiated things we hold a multitude within ourselves and yet we are like a jewel and a mirror you know cut in such a way that 
in each of us, we can see each other and, and, and we can see each other's pain and we can see each other's hopes and aspirations. And, and because each of the jewels are mirrors, when we see each other, we see so much if we care to look. And we see ourselves inside ourselves, our mirror, our kitchen, you know, Dogen's Tenzokyokun metaphor of we are, we are our kitchen and we have to understand our ingredients. We have to look deeply. That question I raised at the beginning, who am I? That's a good one. But, that, but Dogen's teaching doesn't stop there because he says when we look that, at that, we look and see that we are actualized by 10,000 things. So, and then we have to go, keep going. And we do not only see that, but we uh, pursue a way of freedom that shows uh, that there is no, uh, how should we say, beginning or end. And, and there's, no, there's no up and down. I think Sandokai likes to also say, you know, there's no North and Southern Patriot. You know, we, we find a world beyond that doesn't leave any traces. This is very, very beautiful teaching. And so we have different positionalities and different karmic situations. And I think this is the wonderful teaching of something like Sandokai or Five Ranks or Three Truths of Jury or whatever is depending on what we need and what we each other need, we can, we can change our positions a little bit and be free and, and help each other to uh, release suffering, including, uh, you know, I was going to say about racial suffering or kind of things like that, 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 that the hurts that uh, continue and linger. And uh, sometimes we deal with it by directly, uh, actually directly going to the hurt. And other times we let go of that and we reframe and that helps. Or sometimes, you know, there's so many techniques uh, of how to handle difficulty uh, that the Buddha taught us. And so we are the inheritors of so much teaching and so much perspective uh, that, uh, and so much compassion. And so that's what we, I think, need is uh, to, to handle many of the things in our uh, American society or global you know, society. Is, uh, we have a lot as Buddhists to, to bring to the table of how to do it uh, with each other as Buddhists, but also with people who are not Buddhist or who, are, who don't share our point of view. How do, we, how do we deal with that difference as well? And so with that, maybe I'll uh, 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 stop speaking <laughs> and then uh, be had, glad to do more like a, a Dharma exchange. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, as, as Duncan said, if anybody has a question or comment, um, please feel free to raise your hand. You can should be able to find uh, maybe on the reactions uh, button on your menu, a hand raise option. You can also send something in the chat and if anyone from the practice period wants to offer something, you're also welcome to. Yes, please. 
First of all, I just wanted to thank you for coming and, and speaking to our community. I've, I've heard you several times and I'm so grateful for your teaching. So welcome. I'm, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm the yes, of course. Yeah. Well, again, welcome. Um, my question really was when you mentioned techniques, we have so many techniques for dealing with these challenges, particularly racial uh, the challenges of, of, of racial discrimination in our culture. I'm wondering if you could just mention a few of those that you found either yourself that are helpful or that you've heard of. I think we're looking for those uh, in our community as well. Thank you so much for that question. Um, you know, I, so one thing is I mentioned the idea of uh, karma of a nation. It comes from uh, Reverend uh, 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 Kyoshiro Tokunaga. He was a uh, person who uh, served the San Jose Buddhist Temple for uh, many years. And uh, back in World War II, he was uh, uh, right after Pearl Harbor, taken by a train and taken to one of these internment camps and uh, spent his war years there. And uh, he was physically quite ill. And uh, on the train going to these internment camp, he, he met an African-American, like a train porter who helped you know, his physical condition so he could survive, but also talked to him about the, oh, you know, what you're going through with the targeting of, you know, uh, Japanese Americans or uh, Buddhist people or whatever um, is something, you know, African-American people went through before. And based on that conversation, psychologically, it helped him too to feel like, oh, you know, I'm not alone. And this is something I think, uh, number one, is very important is I think a Buddhist way to approach matters of racial uh, uh, questions around uh, hurt both present and past, how to repair uh, kind of racial, um, not only trauma that continues for many people, if they experience that kind of thing, you know, it, it's not only in the mind, but in the body. So how do we kind of attend to kind of repairing that? Um, I think, and there's some techniques I, we can talk about just, just on that, but, 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 but more broadly, I first, first point I wanted to make was uh, he recognized that a lot of these things that he wasn't the first person. He wasn't the only person who experienced racial discrimination. And there are many other people who experienced things and who you know, persisted, survived, overcame some difficulty and that we can learn from each other uh, uh, and that uh, to become freer and more capable and more resilient and more uh, to, to when we're faced with things that are, how should we say, quite big. Some people even call it a structural part of our society and our history. Uh, to know that you don't have to solve it just by yourself that in itself is already a great um, teaching of Buddhism. You know, we say, uh, our first line of Bodhisattva vow is sentient beings are innumerable, yet we vow to liberate all. So we've, we can only become free, you know, together. This is very, very powerful teaching for how we can come together to solve things like racial uh, problems uh, of the past. And I mentioned the idea of racial karma uh, because it's also the solution is not done 
alone, but also the problem is not an alone problem. When I was growing up, you know, uh, I felt like I was the only one who was, you know, didn't know how to belong in this world or something like that. Once you know there are other people who have and who've been able to figure out a way to see things, move forward, and so forth, that's uh, powerful. I'm going to share something very private, but like my brother, uh, unfortunately, he committed suicide when he was 24 years old. He couldn't fit in in either Japan or he went to the UK and you know, I experienced a lot of discrimination there too, but um, he had much worse experience. Uh, people would not only like verbal things is like I was very used to normal, but he they put feces on his door and uh, just uh, uh, kind of him being part Asian was a very, uh, and as I said, he looked more Asian than I did. So he really had difficulty for two years living there and and uh, ultimately, he just couldn't, and he also came out as gay. And so he just couldn't find his place in the world. And I think I've always been a little bit, how should I say, motivated around these questions because um, not just me alone, but like my brother and many other people I know who have had difficult uh, uh, thing and had, not knowing, I think if he had, I was too young, you know, he was 24, I was 25, like, um, we, we, we can only share uh, insight or Buddhist teaching or some perspective that might be helpful, uh, you know, when the karmic circumstance, right? And it wasn't quite right then. And I couldn't share anything that was going to be helpful for him. But I've been intent on like, how can we do that for other people who may be in a similar situation uh, around race or, you know, any other thing? Uh, and I think one of the key things I figured out was, to know that you're not alone, that's a really big one. And I think Sangha is that for us Buddhist people, why the Buddha said that's an important refuge or treasure. So that's number one, is that is, maybe it's not a technique, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a treasure from our Buddhist heritage is something called Sangha. That means that we practice together and not alone. Uh, sometimes we have to, be alone, but we're doing it together, at least with other people. There's something powerful about the Sangha. Uh, so that's number one for me. Uh, there's more specific things like, you know, and then and, and that, and that you're, you're, what we inherit as things that are uh, difficult, uh, that our parents may have experienced racial discrimination or difficult or may have perpetrated, you know, I always think about like, there's a book by Isabel Wilkerson called Cast, and it's, a, it's, this, it's this one image of this uh, lynching that's happening in the American South. And uh, we immediately think of what were the family members of the person who was lynched, you know, how, how they're trying to process and go through when they lost their loved one like that. But I think a Buddhist way to think about this is there was this photograph of the lynching, you know, that she describes in words. And there's a 11 year old, uh, like white girl who is attending the lynching as if it were a picnic. They're having a, like a picnic. And I'm like, what is the racial karma inherited by that 11 year old girl to think that this is a normal thing to have a picnic around? And what does that 11 year old girl's children and grand, like what is inherited there as well. 
And to solve the issues around race in America, we have to all come together, whatever our racial background, because we inherit many things in our bodies and minds through all this, whether we like it or not, you know, we just inherit. So how can we, how can we uh, uh, take things and depersonalize, not make it about guilt or your responsibility or this and that, not like that type of way, you know, but a Buddhist way, uh, which is about, these are just the, we inherit nonsense, whether we like it or not, of our ancestors, and we inherit the teachings and wisdom of our ancestors, and it's, you know, our life, we can do something to have some discernment and understanding, and when we inherit the nonsense, how do we transform it? This is the powerful message of, uh, especially our more like uh, Vajrayana teachings, is how do we take the most difficult things and, 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 and uh, not look away from it, not try to throw it away, uh, not hide away from it or, or something, but take it and actually transform. There's a power that we have in our lineages about transformation of even the most difficult uh, things. And so, I don't know, the broad picture is something like that. And then there's specifics, I think, for each individual case or particular issues in a, in a uh, uh, I don't know, particular sangha or something, like there's different things. But uh, broadly, we have uh, many, many teachings and tools. But to me, the big one is like, we're not doing it alone and we're sangha and we're gonna do it together. This is a powerful uh, way to see how we can resolve these uh, questions. Uh, and do it with a sense of wisdom, but also great sense of compassion that we are, we, 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 this is our life of in the middle, finding our freedom is not a, not a, uh, it's going to require a lot of uh, encounter with things that uh, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our entirety, uh, there is hurt. And that's the beauty of Buddhism is that we are the religion that says, uh, we're going to tackle the suffering, you know, head on. And, and, and sometimes we will have different, many, many techniques of directly tackling, transforming, but also sometimes like you need to let it be and, and do something else and then it transforms itself. Or, you know, there's so many ways to, to, to uh, take our teachings and in each circumstance do something. Sorry, I'm talking too much. So, but, but, uh, I believe we have uh, many teachings uh, we can draw on and many uh, rituals, ceremony, uh, and not just, uh, you know, philosophical ideas that we can use. And then most importantly, the compassion that comes from being together and practicing together uh, in community. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our programs are made possible by the donations we receive Please help us to continue to realize and actualize the practice of giving by offering your financial support. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.